Hey, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Judges. If you have been, like a lot of us here at Heritage, been reading through the Bible, we've been using this Bible reading guide. In fact, if you haven't or if you've fallen behind, it's okay. I would encourage you just, just get one of these, start where we're at, and follow along the best you can. It's really been fun to be able throughout the week to talk to each other and go like, hey, uh, what'd you get as you're reading through the passages and kind of being on the same page and hearing different things. I know we're doing that in our ABF class. It's been very, very rich. And as you've noticed, if you have been reading, we've now started the book of Judges. And so this morning, I would like to talk to you and I today about a very familiar character because many of you, especially you young guys growing up, I don't know if you were like me, uh, Samson was like a hero to me growing up just because he did all incredible things, you know. But then as I started growing up and getting a little older and understanding the story of Samson, I realized, well, that's not really someone you ought to look up to because he had uh, some issues. And so today I want to talk about how the mighty fall, and I really want to kind of talk about how did such a mighty man of God fall, and I hope that you'll hear it. In fact, I hope that today you will listen with both ears. And here's what I mean by that. With one ear, I hope that you will listen for your own edification. In other words, how, why would God leave this story in the Bible? Why would he allow you and I to know the story and all the grimy details of Samson's life? Why would he put it there? We know the Bible tells us that the things that were written of old are put there for our example. And so you and I need to learn from it. But here, I want you to listen with the other ear. Because I know I usually sometimes can come to church and only listen with one ear, meaning only for myself. But you know that we get together and we encourage one another. We hear the word of God. We, we stimulate. We stir one another up. We encourage. We do all these things to one another. So that what? We will be equipped for the work of the ministry. Because for if you are a follower of Christ, you are a minister. And you, just like me, we need to grow, be equipped to know how to minister to other people. And so I hope that you'll hear today how to be equipped so that you'll be able to take these things. Because, you know, for every one of us, there are people in our own sphere of influence that they'll only listen to you. They would never listen to me. They would never listen to somebody else. But you as a friend, if you begin to help them and talk to them about even these issues, you would be able to be able to help them. So I don't mean it like after you hear this, you go like, yeah, I got a friend. They should have heard that today. No, I hope that you'll hear it, that like you're equipped so that when you are just talking with a friend and then maybe something comes up that you'll remember, like the Lord will prompt you that you can be used of God in this person's life. So I hope that you will hear that. So Samson's life, it's really not that long. It just starts in chapter 13, ends at the end of chapter 16, but there are some grimy details. In fact, in chapter 13, if you, you're about to read it, if you're following the plan, you'll find out that his birth was really a miraculous birth. It was really an incredible thing. 
he had some God-fearing parents. And the thing is, God had an incredible, glorious plan for his life. Well, the truth is, that one last thing is for every one of you. If you are a follower of Christ, glorious God has a glorious plan for you and I's life. And I hope that you realize that, and I hope that you will live according to that. But I want us, as we walk through his life, to see some things that maybe took place in Samson's life that would be a warning to us and to be able to help us. So I want you, if we will, in chapter 14, start in verse 5, I want us to pick up his story. It says, then Samson, again at verse 5, then Samson went down with his mother and father to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came out towards them roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and though he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his mother or his father what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and there was honey. And he scraped out with his hands, and he went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So if you would read that, and if you didn't have any background, you'd go like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, I mean, I've never done that. I don't know about you. I've never just been walking through the woods, see a dead animal. There's a beehive and go like, hey, honey, I like that. You know, I'd, I'll just go to the store and get the, you know, and the bear thing, you know. And, but so if you didn't know background, but the background is that God's purpose for Samson is that he would take a vow. So his parents were and he was, and it was the vow of a Nazarite, which meant he would drink no strong drink. He would eat nothing unclean, touch nothing dead or unclean, and he would not cut his hair. So the vow of a Nazarite. So if you knew that was from God, those details, and then when you look at this particular passage, you might go like, okay, maybe a slight indiscrepancy. No. Absolutely huge rebellion against God. Because God said, this is what I want and not want you to do. And yet Samson, going along casually, decides because he is hungry, he's going to take and scrape it out of a dead animal. So oftentimes I have found myself with this very thing, that it didn't look that bad. Like, it's not that bad. But hear me, if God says, this is what I want you to do, and here's what I don't want you to do, then that makes it bad. It's not like on you and I to decide the degree of how evil the thing is. It is evil whenever God says yes or no, right? 
And so what you and I see with Samson is something that sometimes can sneak in on any of us, and it's this very thing. He did not take his God-given responsibilities seriously. The truth is, every one of us in this room, you have God-given responsibilities. In fact, in your bulletin, I'm just going to give you some relief. We're not going to go over that whole list. You're like, wow, I didn't pack a lunch. So here's the thing. What I want you to do with those passages is sometime this week, maybe in your quiet time, to read those and then write out beside it. Here are a few in the Bible of our God-given responsibilities. But the thing is, every one of us, we have some maybe that some don't and some do. And so you need to know what they are. In fact, for just a moment, I want to spend time on just one of them. And it's right up here. You and I have a God-given responsibility to take care of our mind, right? You and I have been given that. In fact, the scripture is very clear. In fact, will you read this out loud with me? says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You and I are responsible to God for what we put in our minds. You and I, it's not like just uh, drift along and just let anything go. You and I are to be very, very responsible. In fact, here's another one. It says this, we tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. We are also ready to punish every act of disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. And here's what I want you to see. Take every thought captive. You and I aren't supposed to just be letting everything go through our minds and we just think about everything you and I must take captive. Because here, here's the deal. You know this. I, I've said this, but it's just like you know this statement, right? Because if you do not take every thought captive, every thought, ca every thought will do what to you? Take you captive. Uh, if you don't take it captive... It will take you captive. Now, I hope I don't embarrass this guy because he could hurt me, okay? So, Andrew, I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah, you, Andrew, yeah. Hey, so, Andrew, I just wonder, did you wrestle in school? Man, you should have, and I'm glad I wasn't uh, against you. But anyway, so if I could just see, Andrew, if you were a wrestler, or uh, maybe you did that. So, I did wrestle in school, but you and I are good, right? Anyway, so... The thing is, our coach, he would train us to where you didn't go in like 90%. Does that make sense? Like, here, you're going to be against this person wrestling, and I want you to just go in 90%, kind of hold back 10%. Is that wise? No, that is a word that our children should never use. That's just dumb, right? The deal is, you were to go in with everything like everything Matt you're a military man you were taught to what 95 percent 100 percent no you got to do it with a hundred percent you and I must take every thought captive that means sometimes you have to be ruthless you have to shut things off 
You have to not read those certain things, watch those certain things, listen to those certain things, because you and I are responsible for what goes in our minds. It's a God-given responsibility. In fact, two of original thoughts that I've had, here's one of them, if you'll look in the quotes. I will never drift to higher ground. Hear me. You and I will never drift to higher ground. When it comes to our personal God-given responsibilities, you're not, you and I are not to be drifting. We're to be taking it seriously. One of those that you'll read is about being a spouse. And if you're a spouse, you have a God-given responsibility. If you know Ed Johnson, you know that for 64 years, he was a faithful, loving husband to the very end. He kept his God-given responsibilities with God's help, of course, but he took them seriously. And so here's just something I would ask. I've asked of myself and I ask of you, maybe something that you could do with this is take some time and literally write down every one of your God-given responsibilities and see where maybe you have not taken them as seriously. So have you ever noticed, like, if you are walking downstairs, that it doesn't take a lot of effort? I mean, this is a real important object lesson, so don't miss this, okay? But have you ever noticed when you go up steps, it takes a little more effort? Have you ever noticed that? You know why? Because you have a force that's pulling against you, and that force is what? Gravity, yeah. So going down the steps, that doesn't take very much. I promise you, if I just kind of fell, I wouldn't just float, right? Because there is a force that's pulling against me. And whenever I'm going upstairs, what's it doing? It's pulling against me. Well, the same is true for you and I. You and I have a force, not just gravity, but we have a sinful nature that continually is pulling against us. And until the day you and I are in heaven, we will have this pull to step down. And so I hope that you'll hear that as we talk about Samson. Because in my mind, when Samson kind of did not take his God-given responsibility seriously, you know what he did? He stepped down. He stepped down. Now, before we go any further, I hope that you'll hear this. It's no mistake that um, we sang some songs this morning about forgiveness and mercy. Because the truth is, at every step that Samson stepped down, he could have humbled himself. He could have confessed it. You know what that means? He could have agreed with God, this is sin against you, God. And he could have repented, which means what? He could have turned around and stepped back up to where he was supposed to be. Does that make sense? The truth is, every one of us in this room, this week we might have stepped down in a particular area of our life. And yet, because of God's mercy, what? You and I can have the opportunity, if we will stop and humble ourselves and confess it and repent, we can what? 
be renewed with our fellowship with God, but we can step back up and get where we're supposed to be as a follower of Jesus, right? And so I want you to keep that in mind. Now, I just have now this I want for you to listen to. As we read these next passages, here's what I want you to do. Do you see a pattern in Samson's life? So do you see a pattern as we read these next passages? So remember the thing that he's going down, a lion, and he tears the lion. But I want you, if you will now, in chapter 15, turn to verse 11, and let's read this particular event in his life. And if you're reading through these passages these next few days, you'll get the whole story of this. Then 3,000 men of Judea came down to the cliff of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will not do that, but we are going to only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, and they brought him to the rock. Then he came to Lehi, and the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flasks that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and he took it, and with it he struck down 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heap upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a 1,000 men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone in his hand, and that was a particular place. And he was very thirsty. And he said to God, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these uncircumcised men? And God split open the hollow place at Lehi, and the water came out from it, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he was revived. It says that on that day he judged Israel with, against the Philistines for 20 years. 16 verse 1. Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. So here's what I want you to think about. He struck down a lion and then what he did afterwards. God strengthened him. He destroyed a thousand men with God's help and then afterwards he turned to a prostitute and then starting in verse 2 it says this the gazettes have said Samson has come here and they surrounded the place and they set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city they kept quiet all night saying let us wait until the light of the morning then we will kill him but Samson lay till midnight, 
And at midnight he arose, he took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts. He pulled them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and he carried them to the top of a hill. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sikor. Her name was Delilah. Do you see a pattern in Samson's life? He strikes down a lion with God's help. Then he disobeys God by scooping out honey out of its dead carcass. He is empowered by God to destroy a thousand Philistines, and afterwards he goes to a prostitute. He tears the gates of the city up and carries them off, and, and he repeats the matter. And so here's what you see. After every victory, he would indulge in sin. Like, God would give him incredible victory. And then after that victory, it was like he would just completely forget that God had done an incredible thing in his life and then just go indulge. And so here's my question to all of us. Why? Why would a person be mildly used of God and then afterwards go indulge? Why is that? Well, here's this quote and this quote is from a book called Good to Great. It's a, it's a business book. And I don't know if Jim Collins is a believer or not, but he wrote this book about how to be a good business person. And in this quote, I want you to see if you find the answer of why Samson thought that after every victory, it was okay to go ahead and indulge in sin. Here's what it says. When a person, business, or a church becomes prideful of their success, they soon begin to regard it as entitlement, and they lose sight of the true reason for the success. Do you see a word in there that probably is why Samson thought it was okay after God would use him in incredible ways to go ahead and sin against God? What do you think the word is? Anyone? Yeah. He felt entitled. He felt entitled. Like, hey, God used me, and so I can do this. Because here's what entitlement does to all of us. Entitlement causes us to justify sin. Like, God's used me in incredible ways, and so this sin, because what happens, we begin to put degrees on sin. It's not that bad, and so I'll go ahead and just do this. It causes us to not look at our sin like it really is. It causes us to like think that it is not all that bad. And here's the thing about stepping down. Do you realize when you start stepping down steps, it gets easier the further you go? Have you ever noticed that? Like, when you start going down the steps, man, that force, it's pulling on you. It's pretty easy just to, it's always easier to take the next step down. And whenever you and I disobey God and we sin, it's always easier just to go ahead and do the next one. Because here's the thing, if we don't stop and humble ourselves, confess and repent, the next step's not that bad. In fact, it gets easier. It's just easier, like, that's ah, not that bad, just one more step down, just one more. And so I, I hope that you'll hang on to that because you know what Samson could have done? He could have humbled himself 
And he could have confessed and he could have what? Repented and stepped back up to where God would be pleased and honored. And yet he did not because he felt entitled. If you will, in verse chapter 16, verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her, Delilah, and said, If you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. In other words, we'll make you very rich. It's interesting about these Philistines. They knew, they knew what Samson's weakness was. But do you think Samson did? I mean, do you really think, in fact, I went too far because I wanted you to see this. Because the deal is complacency and compromise, it's pretty difficult to see it in the mirror. If you and I'm just by myself kind of looking at my own life, sometimes I can dismiss compromise. I can dismiss like complacency or not taking it as serious as I should. And so one of my questions as I read through the life of Samson, was there anyone in Samson's life that could tell Samson, hey, I think you've gone too far? Do you think maybe people were scared of him? Like, I'm not going to, like, tell Samson he just did something wrong, you know? And yet there was no one in his life that could call him back up. Does that make sense? He didn't have someone in his life. And we know all through the scriptures, like this particular one, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like, if you are a true friend to someone and you happen to see... Your friend stepping down, a true friend, will look the other way. Right? No, a true friend will do what? Will call you back up. A true friend, because see, here I've, I've done this. I've done this before. I've loved myself so much, I wouldn't tell a person like, Hey, I see something in your life that's maybe questionable. I thought, hey, it's not my, you know, job. It's none of my business kind of a thing. And so that's not a true friend. Just let them cave in, right? Just let them step further on down. Just let them go kind of a deal. That's not a true friend. A true friend is someone who will call you back up. I would encourage every person, and I hope you realize this is not just a sermon or a message for a man. This is for all. And the thing is, I hope that every one of you, myself included, has this kind of a friend in your life who could ask hard questions, who could come alongside and actually speak truth into your life that would save you from harm, from further stepping down out of God's will. Hopefully you have a friend like that. Because here's what's interesting. Again, in Proverbs 18.1, it says this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In fact, there in your notes, there's a quote by a guy named David White. Would you look at it? It says this. When we isolate ourselves in our sin, choosing to keep it hidden from others, we're seeking our own desire. It means we're choosing to stay stuck 
our isolation might also expose a subversive desire to hold on to our sin. And so having somebody in your life, do you have someone in your life? Now, on the other hand, here's the question. Are you that somebody in somebody's life? Do you have a friend that you love enough that you could come alongside them and say, I see this and I'm calling you on it? Again, you might go, that's none of my business. But Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Of course, you need to keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted. But you and I are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever thought that bearing one another's burdens means that you would come alongside someone and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I see this in your life. Can I help you? Can I call you out on this? In fact, can I call you back up on this? Not in a prideful way, but are you that type of friend? Because the truth is, every one of us need to become that kind of a friend to other people. If you'll look in chapter 16, here's our last one. Start in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings, and they, had not, they hadn't been dried, and she tied him up with them. And with men hiding in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Then she said to him in verse 15, because she keeps doing it, he keeps telling her something. She keeps asking, he keeps telling her something. But notice what Samson does starting in verse 15. Then he said, she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With much nagging, she probed him day and night until he was sick to death of it. That's pretty blatant. It's a good thing a jawbone of a donkey wasn't laying around, right? Anyway. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. Because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He told everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned 
with a silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so he became subdued him. She subdued him, and his strength left him. Then she said, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And I consider one of the saddest pieces of Scripture is this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The more he stepped down, the less aware of how distance he has put between himself and God. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in prison. Once again, if you'll look at the quotes... Susan Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, wrote her son John this note as he was leaving to go to college. She said, Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the delight for spiritual things, Whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin. So what did Samson do? He stepped down, first of all, because he never took his God-given responsibilities seriously. He stepped down more because he felt entitled. God's using me in a great way, and so I'm entitled. I can just step on down. And he steps on further down because this, he played too close to the edge. And you know, you all know this, this is like elementary. If you're a follower of Christ, this is elementary. It's not about how close to the edge you can get. It's about what? It's about how far from the edge you and I need to stay. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says this, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And then I want you, if you will, read this with me, will you? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, some people say the Bible's just confusing. Well, this isn't. That's not confusing at all. It's just as clear as day. You and I must take our God-given responsibilities seriously. You and I must not get to a place where we feel like, man, I'm entitled. And can I just tell you, as I am growing older, as I am maturing, I really like that better than growing older, right? I'm maturing, you know. I'm realizing that as I'm getting older, feeling entitled is becoming easier. And it's something I have to fight. 
I just want to encourage you. I'm fighting it. I hope that you'll fight it. Because honestly, you and I are entitled to nothing. Nothing. If, if anything, it's by God's grace that you and I get to live and speak his name and try to be a blessing in other people's lives and come alongside and be used of God. It's only by grace. It's not an entitlement at all. So I hope that if you find yourself in any step stepping down, I hope that you're hearing it also that you could come alongside somebody else, that you would be encouraging to the person to realize that at any step you could stop and humble yourself. You could confess it, agree with God, this is sin against you, and repent and turn. Because I want to read King David did not take his God-given responsibilities seriously. And one day he stayed home from battle, just let somebody else go do it. And he found himself in an incredible place of weakness. In fact, when he saw Bathsheba, it would have been safer for him that day to get off the roof, get on his horse, and charge straight into the middle of a battle because he would have been safer in that battle than the battle he lost on the roof of his house. And he didn't take it. He didn't take it. I, he probably felt entitled, you know, and just played too. He did have some people that were good to him. They said, hey, isn't that Bathsheba? Isn't that Uriah's wife? Like that should have been like a big, huge red light. And he just went on. And it says that more than a year, he kept that secret. He thought he had covered up that adulterous act. He thought he had covered up that murder and for a year, he ached inside as the Spirit of God worked on his heart. And then one day, God sent Nathan, told him a story, and he was a good friend. Because you know what Nathan said? You're the man. The, one of the best illustrations of being a good friend. You're the man. You messed up. And he broke his heart. Psalm 51 is when he humbles himself, confesses, repents. I hope you hear this. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I beg you today, you might not be stepping down. This right at this moment might not be speaking to your heart because of something. But the thing is, you can take these life-giving words and you can go to other people, your friends. You can be a part of their life. And the truth is, whenever you do step down, you can realize you can 
repent. You can confess. You can humble yourself and turn to God. I would encourage you, don't stay in the dark. Don't stay silent. Find a friend. Call a pastor. Talk to someone. Because hear me, anything covered over in the dark always comes out in the light. It always grows. It always festers. It always. Instead of like David, aching and struggling in silence, find a friend. Like James says, confess it. May they pray with you and may you find healing for your soul. In fact, would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would help us because every one of us, we slip, we step down, we sin. I realize as a child of God, when I sin, it's because I choose to. Before I knew you, I just sinned. It just was just the most natural thing. I'm realizing now as your child, when I sin, I choose to step away, step down, don't take you seriously. I would pray that you would speak to your people. But Lord, not only for that reason, but help us to be people who restore others. Use our lives Help us to be not prideful. Help us to be gentle, but help us to be people who restore others. May we be approachable, that people would realize they have a safe place. They could talk to a friend. I pray that you give us opportunity to help people step out of darkness. And in silence, they've been aching because they have been convicted. So I pray that you would help us to be that kind of a friend. Spirit of God, may my heart always be tender. I would pray this would never happen to me, what happened to Samson, that he didn't even realize God had left. I pray my sense of you would be constant. I pray for my brothers and sisters their sense of you would be constant. And if there is anything that is obstructing that, would you help them to realize it's between you and them? May they be ruthless. May they be diligent to bring it before you to humble themselves, to confess it and to repent. May I be the first to do it. I ask this in your powerful name. Amen.